Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where all that the Catholic Church believes and teaches is served fresh daily. So come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzymski. Greetings and welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff sitting in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. Sitting here with Tom Dorian. I know it's you know it's more luxurious today. Have you ever shown up sometime, someplace, and you look around and like, man, I should have dressed up a little nicer, or we should have set the table a little bit nicer. I know, because we have like a really pretty guest. Today's that day. And we're kind of a couple of ugly guys. Yeah, a couple couple of knuckleheads. Yeah. And so we have have a great guest here who's going to, we'll be talking about beauty and things like that. But, you know, we have a beauty here. We do. Uh, Alana Boudreau is her name. And Alana Boudreau, without an X, I was told. Right. Uh, Love right. the name. Alana, welcome to the Catholic Cafe's luxurious corner booth. We're so happy to have you here. Well, thank you. It's great to be here. So we're going to talk about some cool stuff. You are a, I guess, would you call yourself a singer-songwriter? Is that what you yeah. do? Is yeah. I, I think that probably be the best umbrella to put it under. So I'm a musician, and um, I'm Catholic, um, and yeah, artist. And those things aren't necessarily mutually exclusive, are they? No, that's Catholic great. and musician. Although, right. I'll, I will tell you, I, I just, I lament a little bit that there's not a lot more Catholic musicians out there that are kind of making their way in the world. So this is a little encouragement for people who have that that gift to maybe start to just to go ahead and be a singer-songwriter. But I'll bet you there's a lot of singer-songwriters who are, happen to be Catholic as well. Because yes. you, you kind of fit in an interesting little, I guess, area where it's like you're not exclusively like in a ministry. No. But then you do sort of ministerial things sometimes. Sure. But right, then you also right. sing... Do you, you also write um, and perform some, what I guess, what do we call it, pop? What do we, popular? What do we call that kind of music? Um, I mean, I guess you could say, you could call it secular. I mean, right. I, I guess you could say that, or non-sacred music. And yet, yeah, but what I mean, style would we be talking about? Style of music would be, uh, I'd say, like folk, singer-songwriter. Uh, yeah, it, it, the it's, singer-songwriter, that, that word, that phrase is the best one to put it under, but it does kind yeah, of yeah, draw from different genres. You don't genres. want to box yourself in. Sure, yeah. yeah and, and uh, uh, you know, so there's lots of, and I just think it's neat that, uh, and of course all the kids are doing it, right? My kids are listening to Mumford and Sons and they all right. get, things like that, and they've got uh, banjos in the background, and my son last night, uh, I just had his, we had his birthday party last night. He's a, he's like a virtuoso guitar player, self-taught. So it's beautiful wow. what, he, what he does on his guitar. Uh, he's like, Dad, I'm I'm buying a steel guitar, a lap guitar, lap steel, whatever that thing's called. That's cool. And he played one. He picked it up and just started playing it, and it's actually going to be on their, <clears throat> excuse me, their record they're recording right now. But it's kind of cool. It is. And yeah. it's just, I think it's neat to see all those different forms of music kind of coming back. Yeah, it is. Because when you yeah. say folk, everyone thinks like Woody Guthrie and Arlo Guthrie. Right. And, <laughs> you know, and you think that, and that's like. But but I just I, I I love the music that I think a lot of folks are listening to now, yeah, yeah. and so I need to go and, and uh, check out your music. But I guess I, I want to start by talking to you about like what um, you know you wouldn't call yourself like uh, build yourself as a musician that only like does Catholic shows and Catholic things and writes Catholic music, but you're a Catholic in in a business that's not necessarily friendly or in a, in a culture or world that's not necessarily friendly to your Catholic faith. Mm-hmm. Right. What is that like? I mean, what is that experience like for you? Do you ever deal with that in a uh, direct way, or is it, you haven't had a problem with that? You know, I I haven't uh, come up against that a whole lot. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe it's because I'm not I'm not like this huge media personality, so it's not like I'm grappling with the wolves of the media. Right. You know, it, I mean, I'm fairly small scale, and right. as far as 
yeah, I'm, I'm not, I don't call myself a, a Christian artist. You know, I'm, I, I, I write songs and I sing and my faith imbues the way I understand the world. It imbues my philosophy, my approach to people. Right. Uh, but I, I have found like people are people wherever you go. And uh, there's a lot, there's a lot in common there when you actually encounter each other and, and listen. And um, so, yeah, I haven't experienced And that's cool. And that's that. one of the reasons why I, I really want to talk to you because it's, a lot of times we we pigeonhole so many things, right? We put people in boxes, and we and we put events in boxes, and we put our own selves in boxes. Like, well, this is my deal. This is my gig. This is how I do it. Mm-hmm. And I understand we all have personalities and, and and things that are natural sort of charisms and gifts that we have that we express in a certain way. But I love the fact that you don't exclude yourself from, um, you know, either realm. That you say it's like it's not exclusively, you know, a ministerial, sacred, Catholic thing mm-hmm. that you don't call yourself a, a Christian artist or but you're an artist who's a Christian mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and then at the same time to be able to be in a in a venue in a context and bring some kind of in your songwriting some kind of uh, positive or a sense of your own views of the world in a positive light into an, a, a place where you'll also hear a lot of anger and angst and mm-hmm. uh, you know some moral dilemmas sure. yeah uh, what is that what is that like for you or is that did i sum up what you are or or is there more well that we need to know about I, would, I would hope that i would hope that i would fall in that vein as you just described it but I, I think you're right to go back to what you said about avoiding boxing uh boxing in our faith or making it one sphere among many i think that insular line of thinking is exactly like what happened in the time of jesus the people there were scandalized by him because it was God coming to them in the way that they did not anticipate and they didn't want to deal with it right. that way because it wasn't in their control. And meek, I think meek and riding on an ass, you know, right. they, they did yeah, not expect just, a savior to do that. No, no. Yeah. It was, it was scandalous and it offended their sensibility. And I honestly, I think that as Christians, we, we are called to, to not do that, you know, like it, and I think that can be very off putting for many people. I think that's why a lot of people, when they hear the, the label of Christian, they immediately think I don't want anything to do with it. Right. Um, so I, I do think we're called to be more radically available to the people. I'm not saying to be relativistic because I think that's one of the most insidious poisons right. of our time. But I think to be approachable and to be to seek to be relatable and find Christ in other people, whether you know wherever they're coming from, that's like crucial to to the heart of the gospel. Um, but then I think uh, the, the the point that you brought up after that. Um, yeah, as far as bringing something that's a little different into the music scene, I think a lot of people are, are pessimistic and weighed down by thinking that the here and now is all that's right. all that's here, all that we have, and so there's a, a real thirst for intimacy and mystery. So um, I do I do try my best to bring that into the fore in the way that I write my lyrics. Is that actually there there is mystery here? It's not just science is not the be all end all because that is truly depressing. If we if we believe that we're just a happy colliding of atoms that you know came right. together and that's that's it it's all just kind of into the void after this um i don't believe that i think it would take more faith to believe that than to, than to see like the design and the wonder well i know to live as True. as we were designed to, to live with that natural um hunger for beauty yeah, right and right. order and peace and love and and that's why I, I like what you're saying about the fact that you you might be in a venue and you're not even singing a quote-unquote christian song but it's a song that a Christian could sing, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. You're, you're, yeah. And, and so that someone listening who wasn't thinking about Jesus at the time or God in any form or fashion, 
might actually be drawn into a moment, mm-hmm. right? That, yeah. And where they start to think about themselves and what, do, how do they prioritize? And sure. so yeah. it, essentially it becomes evangelization, even if that wasn't your initial intent. Right. You don't go into right. uh, a secular show in a bar somewhere and, uh, and say, Hey, I'm, uh, I'm basically, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, we're doing a, 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 um, trying to get new members of the church. And so we're going to pass out, you know, information, yeah. go ahead and sign up. Cause you probably aren't going to get anybody signed up. No, I don't think so. You know, <laughs> but at the same time, when you're singing about something, you're going to get, you're going to, if you stir thoughts in people, right. deep and profound thoughts, where did I come from? Why right. am I doing this? Why do I live this way? What is it about that that I find neat or what are beautiful or, or even just fun? What, what, and, and, uh, mm-hmm. I think that gets people thinking. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. I think, I think you're right though. People, people are very adverse to be being treated like a project. I know I am. Yeah. You know, so to be approached like you're a project, I'm going to fix you. I'm going to come in here and give you the good news. Uh, typically, that doesn't work. Maybe for some people, but I think like you're right. What you're saying is if we can live in a way that we are kind of a question mark to people and they wonder what is it that gives them joy? Like what is it? What is the quality beneath that song or the beneath the way this person speaks or interacts with other people? What is that thing that sets them apart that makes them seem more fulfilled? And I think inevitably that question will lead them to God. If they follow right. it with an honest heart, it will lead them to God. You know, and, and honestly, if we're if we're talking about God and we're talking about how Jesus Himself did what He did, I mean, He He did what you're talking about. He didn't start by proclaiming from the mountaintop these doctrines and dogmas it started with walking amongst the people right, right. being there going yeah. to the weddings going to the funerals yeah. uh you know of course he could like raise lazarus up and we can end the funeral right here well you know but the point is he was there amongst the people right and wept with them right. walked with them and so to the degree that you would sort of model that to other folks even without directly saying hey by the way my goal is to have you be a member of my church which is not what you go in there doing that, right? You respect mm-hmm. who they are and let God do the work, but yeah. maybe even through some of your secular songs. I just think that's kind of neat to see that perspective because mm-hmm. we far too often in our business think, well, this is my church world. Right, yeah. And I do that on Sundays. And then on Saturdays, you know, before that, maybe I have to go to confession because I spent Monday through Friday doing all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and we compartmentalize our own faith. Sometimes did you struggle with that as a young person with at um, all? I think yeah, sure. I think there are ebbs and flows in in everyone's spiritual journey. But I think yeah, I'm still trying to figure out what that means to live a well integrated life. I think actually you'll know when you die. <laughs> and I, I, I say that, and it seems funny. <laughs> but you know, we're, we're all, there's like if you, you, we can't know everything, right? No, and we can't stop yearning to be better we can't stop yearning to know christ and to live the way he wants but we never quite know what that is i know that sounds weird because it sounds like didn't isn't that like the church telling us we're supposed to live like this but the reality is that there should always be a hunger oh yeah oh yeah sure i think that's right so how to live a well integrated life i don't know what that is but you're not alone sure no one really knows because when they have it all figured out that's when they screwed up Oh yeah, when you think you've got it all figured out, you're probably full of yourself, and then you're yeah. not you're not open to the wonder and the grace. So, but yeah, I think like you're saying, figuring out how to integrate all the spheres of my life so that you know my love for Christ would hopefully be the, the origin point of whatever kind of warmth right. imbues my life. That's something I'm still figuring out, of course. And um, but I think I think that's actually the the attractiveness of a well integrated life is. It's like a signpost to people. In my life, those have been the, the biggest moments of conversion is when I've seen that in another person, you know, that even, even if they haven't mentioned the name of Jesus right off the bat, 
there's just something very compelling in that. Awesome. You know, so. Very good. So we're talking to Alana Boudreau, and we're talking to her about her music, her life, uh, and we'll talk more ab- about that. Alana, thanks for being here. Uh, when we get back, we'll take a little break. Uh, before we do that, I want to remind folks at home, we've got a website, thecatholiccafe.com. The. The Catholic Cafe. Not just Catholic Cafe, unless you're looking for a Catholic girlfriend Correct. or boyfriend. Correct. It's a dating site, catholiccafe.com. It's important. But thecatholiccafe.com is our um, radio program, so find us there. But also send me an email, deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. With that, we'll be right back. I'm Bess Drzemski, and this is another great moment in church history. When you think of saints, you often think of saintly qualities like patience, love, humility, and generosity. Not so with St. Jerome, a priest and doctor of the church born in the mid-4th century. On more than a few occasions, St. Jerome stood outside the church doors doing penance for his bad temper. While this was true, more than anything, he was a staunch defender of the truth and an ardent lover of the Word of God. He felt that anyone who taught error was an enemy of God to be defeated with the swift and sure strokes of his powerful pen. St. Jerome was a scholar of great wisdom and understanding. He was a master of Latin, Greek, and Hebrew and he spent many years in study in the celebrated centers of scholarship like Rome and Alexandria. He was a great student of sacred learning because he realized its vital role in obtaining the beatific vision. He once said, Let us learn upon earth those things which can call us to heaven. Sometimes feared for his veracity, but always known to be a genuine man of God, St. Jerome was respected by his peers. St. Augustine said of him, What Jerome does not know, no mortal man has ever known. He was very prolific in his writings. Above all, his scriptural writings have been without equal in the history of the church. St. Jerome is most remembered for his translation of the Bible into the common or vulgar language of the people, making it more accessible to the common people. Called the Vulgate, his vigilant and meticulous translation was very popular and became the standard version of the Bible for over a thousand years. Many who question the authority of the Church like to point to the fact that St. Jerome openly opposed the inclusion of the seven deuterocanonical books in the official canon of the Bible. While this is true, as he rarely held his opinions to himself, Few people realize that ultimately St. Jerome recognized, upheld, and defended the authority of Holy Mother Church in defining the canon and placed the books in their rightful place in the Bible. In 402 AD, St. Jerome wrote regarding this issue, What sin have I committed if I follow the judgment of the churches? At the end of his life, St. Jerome finally settled in Bethlehem where he lived in a cave believed to be the birthplace of Jesus. He died there in 420 A.D. His feast day is September 30th. I'm Bester Zimski, and this is another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And now we're back in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe, Deacon Jeff here with Tom Dorian and Alana 
Boudreaux. Now I'm going to be not honest. Alana. I said Alana before, and I yeah. just you know I thought it sounded more cultured, and she said snooty, and she's right. <laughs> it, 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 she's not snooty at all. She's like she's like oh, she's they're very from approachable, that. very yeah. very friendly. Um, um, you know, and it's like it's good to to be that, but it means I'm going to have to stop eating bananas and tomatoes. So do you know what's yeah. funny? I once told someone that it was like Alana banana, and he said, "Well, I say banana." And I, I couldn't, so you had, I couldn't you, really argue with them. What are you coming kinda, back with? I, I just you like, just well. call him snooty and you moved on. I don't right? care if you say banana. It's Alana. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. Alana has a banana. That's, that's okay. Go. And that's all fine. So now we know it's, it's, it's Alana. And so I thank you for taking the time to be with us here. Because I, I find this whole conversation intriguing because we're always wondering, like, how do we fix all our young people? Not Again, I'm saying that facetiously because we don't want to. We can't fix people. Sure, yeah. Yeah. But what? How do we? What are we doing? It's, it's a tough time for Pray. for a lot of folks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just the idea of like, you know, you can live a life and you can be Catholic, and you, you can still live a life and you can still have fun and you can still be out there, and you can have good friends and you can even have friends who might have this kind of addiction or this problem right. or this issue. You can have friends that have this religious belief. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing how when you live that sort of well-integrated life that you you use that as you use your Catholicism as a strength in that, but not as some kind of like bully pulpit. Right. Yeah. Right. And I think that speaks more to people than anything when you don't come at this from the point of view of I'm trying to convert you. Right. I'm looking for converts. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. Do you find that in your relationships with people, they're much more respectful of that attitude? Oh yeah, yeah. I think the minute the minute you make your faith or something um, into an ivory tower, it can be yeah, obviously very offsetting for people. I mean, I've experienced that to some degree too. It's you know, I'm a Catholic, sure, but um, I also need to be approached and called on lovingly. You know, right. from the perspective of friendship, not from the perspective of condemnation you don't start with well here's your problem no i've i've I've, I've observed you and i know what your problem is (laughs) right Mm -hmm. right i mean i and i'm saying that to myself as much as to anyone like i i need to not do that as well it's just so easy let's let's fix it that mentality especially when it's people you love who are close to you it's just like hey i want to do you a favor and point point out how annoying you are in this way it's like yeah (laughs) this does not work you know so um but yeah and in my own family honestly there's variance of belief there is absence of belief um and so yeah these are my family like this my flesh and blood and things like that and so that's helped me to be more circumspect in many ways and in approaching other people uh with love and respect and uh, actually a priest recently said to me that uh, the source of our greatest resentments and anxieties usually come from scorned poverty Mm. when we scorn poverty like spiritual poverty in another person or moral poverty or in ourselves like that is the source of self-loathing or resentment mm. and we take it out on other people so mm. we can't scorn other people's poverty right you know if if we don't want that to be done to, our, and to don't, us and don't you mm. think that i mean god wants you to be in that family in the middle of that family that's broken if it's broken or in the middle right. of that group of people that's oh, broken yeah. because yeah. I, I think that's how he works mm-hmm. i mean i think I that's agree. how he works most is through uh, in our own brokenness but really in our ability to sort of like just to walk with others yeah. versus yeah. i got to get out of here because you guys are not like sure Catholic right. A plus like I am. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I get a sense from talking to you that, that you that you love your faith and that you love your Lord. I, I, I get that sense. And so I guess what I want to know is like is that did that come from mom and dad? Did it come from 
your own personal experience? Is it because you said your family? There's like a there's a variety of belief, sure, and yeah. some unbelief, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Um, well, my folks are both faithful Catholics. Um, I have siblings, however, you know, and uh, everyone's very bright. And sometimes the mind can the mind can try to answer questions on its sure. own. And but the, but then again, everyone's very complicated, and I can't make any you know. Uh, watertight statements on how or why certain siblings of mine have left the faith. But right. mm. um, from a young age, though, my mom especially, she would take us to Mass frequently. We were homeschooled, so we had a, a pretty quiet life. And so from a young age, I was introduced to just uh, sitting in silence by the river and like that kind of contemplation where I just was taking things in. And so, and my first experience of prayer was Eucharistic adoration. And even though at that time I wasn't like, thinking of the hypostatic union or transubstantiation, my first experience with God was of presence, you know, and availability and silence. Yeah, you didn't hear, learn those two, those big words until no, like, that's like impressive. Second, <laughs> yeah, that, that was like, you were like four years old, right? right. That's when that started happening. That's right. Only when, a homeschooler would get that, when, by the way. Exactly. Yes, when, when, I, when I started to spell that, that was, that was when that happened. Yeah, but, I, see, we, we homeschooled, <laughs> we got, we got nine kids, uh, Alana, and, we, and, and our kids, you know, when they're doing a spelling test, they would like, you know, Eucharist and transubstantiation <laughs> right. are on like the the, the, the spelling list totally. and things like that. It's yep. all part of the integrated thing. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so did you ever have like a crisis of faith? Do you think, um, or you just have not not so much a crisis of faith as um, more more a point in my life when I was around fifteen or sixteen where I realized that I had to make a volitional act of the will mm-hmm. to choose to believe what Jesus said was true, that he is who he said he was. And that, you know, it it was kind of like Jesus was not just like the pantheistic warmth of my childhood, like the cradle of, you know, what my mother told me to say. I had to make a decision. And that's something, I guess, yeah, my kind of conversion has been the one that's a day-to-day, will I choose to serve God and believe? Um, And, yeah, I, I think that's why... Writers like Joseph Pieper have been a huge consolation to me. He has uh, Faith, Hope, and Love is his right. threefold book, which has changed his writings have changed my life. So just seeking uh, the wisdom of other people, the wisdom of my spiritual father, uh, my, my spiritual director, things like that. And um, yeah, it's kind of a, a constant for me, a constant grappling of seeking God more and more, and also trying not to um, have all the answers because sometimes I think I want that because I like the idea of thinking I'm in control. But you can't, you cannot experience intimacy when you're in control, you know. And I, more than anything, I want relationship with God. Man, so, I want to, I want to, you know, build you up too much. But I'm gonna say you, you got it all together. And I, I just, I know, I kind of wish. <laughs> I, I knew you'd deny that, but I kind of wish that, like, as broken as you are, I wish the whole world was as broken as you are right <laughs> now. Because there's a, there's a sense of a uh, there's a sense of reality. There's a true sense of reality. What am I called to do? What am I called to be? I don't know all the answers, yeah. but I'm vulnerable right. and I'm going to go that way. Right. Uh, I'm going to walk the way. I, I, I appreciate you doing that. Now, Alana, you're, you're going to you're going to leave us here with a song. We usually close when it comes kind of a prayer, but I want to take a minute and maybe listen to you sing and let that be kind of our our prayer. And it doesn't have to be a Jesus song or something, but it can just be a song that's going to lead us down. To, what what are you going to play for us? Well, I'll play for you a song that I wrote uh, a few months ago. It's called uh, Waltz for the Brokenhearted, and I wrote it with Charlie Peacock, uh, producer. He invited me and a group of other musicians to the, the mountains of Vermont, and we all just kind of did some co-writing. And um, I really love this little tune that we wrote together, so I'm going to sing that one for well, you. Well, we look forward to hearing it. Uh, before we do that, I want to remind folks at home that they can go to alanaboudreaumusic.com. That's A-L-A-N-N-A. 
B-O-U-D-R-E-A-U, no X, music.com. All one word, Music.com. They can find out more about you. Hook up with you on uh, Facebook and yep. Instagram. Also, mm-hmm. you're all over YouTube, yes. iTunes, Amazon. Yep. Alana Boudreaux, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. It was a joy. And now here's Alana Boudreaux. I say that I love you, then I fall like a star. Say that I see you, can't find where you are. I trip like a drunkard over you in my path. I cry like a sparrow, little bird in a trap. You would think by now I know I am loved, but I don't and I won't till I know that I'm home. A bow has the arrow, the night has the moon, the spike has a fire. listening to the catholic cafe for more information visit us on the web at thecatholiccafe.com you'll find many links to catholic resources on the web you can also listen to previous shows online download mp3s or take advantage of our podcast feature if you'd like to contact deacon jeff send an email to deacon jeff at thecatholiccafe.com 
The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from J. Terry Stive, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe. There's always room for one more at our table.